Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most grisly, the most gruesome, the most noteworthy homicide cases in Maryland are examined and profiled. This season, season two, teen killers are profiled. On this episode, teenage murderer Ronald Alberto Hinton is profiled, and the unsolved homicide of 47-year-old Clarissa Russell is examined. As a person who has been studying, examining, and analyzing criminals, especially murderers in particular, there are some murderers that are different, some that are extremely heinous, some that are sad, hot, and particularly heartbreaking. On June 22, 2006, 911 dispatchers got a call from a desperate, frantic caller on the other line. Come here quick with an ambulance, quick. My little cousin fell on the porch, hit her head. She ain't getting up, come here, hurry up. As the 911 dispatcher calmly talked to the caller and asked questions, Seconds later, the caller switched up and said she fell and hit her head on the ground. Paramedics rushed to her home in the 2900 block of Goodwood Road in Northeast Baltimore. There, the caller, 15-year-old Ronald Alberto Hinton, led them to four-year-old Janea Woodley, who was lying face down, unconscious, with blood coming out of her nose and her mouth. She is covered with bruises, bite marks, has a busted lip, and is rushed to John Hopkins Hospital in grave and critical condition with a brain injury called a subdural hematoma and with little to almost no brain activity at all. Ronald, who had no juvenile record at all, is questioned immediately. He tells the detectives that he had been babysitting Janaya and her seven-year-old brother alone for the past few days. He had babysit the kids, the kids before plenty of times with no issues or problems, but on this particular day, he told the detectives that he was making breakfast for the kids when he suddenly heard a noise upstairs. He told the detectives that when he ran upstairs to investigate what the noise was, he saw that Janiah had been jumping on the bed and had fallen off and hurt herself. He said he washed some blood off of her face, he wrapped her up in a comforter, he carried her downstairs, and he called 911. Absolutely no one brought this story, especially after it was discovered at the hospital that the child had also, also been raped. The detectives wasted zero time in bringing in the last person known to have any contact with the child and for questioning. So while Ronald's mother sat in another room at police headquarters, Ronald eventually confessed that something totally different, something totally sinister had occurred in the home. For whatever reason, he confessed that in an upstairs bedroom, he performed oral sex on the four-year-old and fondled her with his fingers, 
and he admitted to putting his penis partially in her vagina. During the rape of this baby, he hit her, he bit her all over her body, leaving bite marks all on her right nipple and twice on her and twice on her left thigh. He admitted to beating her, slapping her multiple times with an open hand across her face to get her to listen and do whatever he wanted. He told the detectives that at one point during the rape, the child ran downstairs and he chased her throughout the house. When he easily caught her, he lifted her over his shoulder, got a black belt from a closet, and basically beat the crap out of her with it, leaving bruises and marks all over her body. Then he started using his hands. When she blacked out from his blows, he panicked and called 911. He did tell police that he was sorry for doing it and that it was dumb. <laughs> yeah. Faced with all of this, this 15-year-old, Ronald is arrested and charged as an adult with murder in Janiah and held without bail. Janiah's seven-year-old brother, the only other person that was in the house at the time Janiah was killed, is also in another room being questioned by detectives, and the child tells them in an alarming, tra traumatizing story. A seven-year-old bravely tells investigators that he saw Ronald slamming his sister on a bed and messing with her. Her brother told them his sister kept crying out for him to help her, and he just kept on yelling for Ronald to stop. Just stop but he wouldn't stop beating his sister. He told the detectives that he could see that his sister was bleeding out of her nose and her mouth and that she was hurt. And she, he noticed that she was out of it as he watched Ronald drag his sister by her hand down a flight of stairs. Meanwhile, at John Hopkins Hospital, a whole other story is brewing and breaking out when it comes out that Janaea's father, who had been raising her, was not her biological father, and her last name wasn't really Woodley, but was really Williams. According to the city paper, a big fight breaks out in the, at the hospital with so much baby daddy drama, and a social worker notes in her written report that Janaya's mother seems to be more concerned about all the drama that she was causing instead of the fact that her daughter was losing the fight for her life. And to top all of this off, Janiah's mother had a history of neglect with her kids, so the Department of Social Services was alerted and called to the hospital. When they got, when they got on the scene, they immediately took control, exert, exerting their power, and they took over temporary custody of Janae's seven-year-old brother until further notice, until they could sort out what really happened and what really went on. So while Janae's mother is in a corner of the hospital dealing with all of this all at once, in the midst of all of this, Janae dies and passes away. The little girl never woke up or got any brain activity after being brought into the hospital and was officially pronounced dead on June 23, 2006. 
at first some of the family kept up their support of Ronald you know telling the detectives that the day before Janea died a fan had fallen on her and that caused the scrapes and bruises but the doctors immediately shut that theory down they're saying that her death was definitely not caused by a Wendell fan after Ronald signs a full confession and is arrested and charged as an adult with Janae's murder, once at Central Booking, he comes across a correctional officer who turns out to be his aunt. When she asks him just what the hell was he doing in there, he hand, he changes he hands over his charge papers to her. When the correctional officer reads what he is charged with, she hands the papers back to him and instructs him to not tell anybody, nobody, what, not even the COs, what he is in there for because the, these papers alone could get him killed. Suddenly, he changes his story and says the detectives made him sign something. They don't really know what it is and they said he could go home if he signed it and he was like never going to see his mother again if he didn't sign it or whatever. See, Ronald already had it engraved in his head, a deep-rooted hatred or mistrust from the police. He had been trained from an early age that the police are corrupt, not your friend, and were not to be trusted. See, Ronald's father had been a Baltimore City police officer recruit back when Ronald was just a year old and he had died under very suspicious circumstances. His father, 22-year-old Sean Hinton, was just about to finish his training at the academy and was weeks away from graduating from the Baltimore City Police Academy and just completed field training in the Western District when on Friday night, October the 24th, 1992, he had a minor car accident and ended up getting locked up for driving under the influence. The next day, he bailed out got his car out the impound lot and for some reason the last his family heard from him was a phone call he made from an Amtrak station in Baltimore. Ten days later his body was found floating in a harbor off Battery Park in Lower Manhattan. He had obvious injuries to his face and his wrists were tied together in front of him with the drawstrings of the jacket that he was wearing. Even with these suspicious and questionable circumstances, a New York medical examiner labeled Sean's death a suicide, especially after his wife reported that she found somewhat of a suicide note that he left. His family never believed he committed suicide and they believed that Sean was killed by members of the Baltimore City Police Department. They believed he was killed because he was about to report to internal affairs knowledge that he had about recent police corruption within his department. His family and young Ronald grew up with, with a deep fear or a deep phobia of the police because of these deep-seated roots that ran deep. The prosecutor had offered him a deal where the 15-year-old would serve only 20 years for Janaea's murder, but this fool maintained this same weird, ridiculous defense that he only signed a confession because he was scared of the police 
and thought that if he didn't, they would kill him like they killed his father. They took this crap in front of a jury and on the stand, he said the only reason why he confessed and signed anything was because the detectives threatened to beat him up on, in the interview room. That's when I kept telling them to leave me alone. And that's when I said I didn't do nothing. That's when they said, if you tell us you did it, we'll let you go home. I thought I was going to go home. The jury never got to hear none of that unrelated crap about who or what may have killed his father. And they deliberated for only four hours before finding Ronald guilty of first-degree murder, among other charges. During his sentencing hearing, Janaea's father gave a statement that said, The impact has been nothing but pain made worse by the fact that I used to take care of Ronald. I always made sure Ronald got home safe. The rest is all anger. According to the Baltimore Sun, Ronald said nothing and showed no emotion as he was sentenced to life in prison plus 25 years. On the same day, he filed an appeal and sent a letter to the Innocence Project asking for their help. So far, his appeal has been denied. Now, this murder was notorious in Maryland because a 15-year-old boy raping and beating to death a four-year-old who at the time was believed to be his cousin. Oh, I, I remember when this happened. I remember when they showed his uh, mugshot on TV. Um, they charged him as an adult. I thought the crime was brutal, especially when I heard about the details of him chasing her throughout the house with a belt. Um, I thought it was brutal. That's what made this crime notorious. The two ages that were involved. Um, her brother that was there, her seven-year-old brother that was there and basically witnessed his sister being killed. He has to be traumatized to this day. Um, basically, especially with him giving a statement saying that his sister called out for him numerous times and he couldn't fight off a 15-year-old. You know, him, I believe he was truthful in his statement. Um, I, I can't even imagine what he's possibly going through to this day. Witnessing something like that has got to be traumatic. Um, that's unbelievable what a 15-year-old can put another person through. You know, it's, it's just amazing what a seven-year-old can recall and I bet you Ronald probably thought that this, either his brother wasn't going to say anything or nobody was going to believe him because he was only seven or he can't remember or anything like that or the way this sounds he probably didn't care anyway he sounds like a maniac um I believe Ronald is right where he belongs I don't believe in that defense of him being scared of his or being scared that the detectives were or somebody was going to kill him if he didn't sign a confession if he didn't say this if he didn't say that I mean no no I, I'm not buying it I believe he was just hiding behind that as um a defense mechanism where else would the police get some get the details that they had 
who would confess to something like that if you know they didn't do it nobody would confess to something like that and it's not like they had him in there for days you know questioning him on end and he just all of a sudden just you know like okay i'll sign anything you know just let me get out of here no it wasn't even like that um it did take some prodding to get it out of him but at the same time there wasn't that much you know, it wasn't that much persuasion to get him to confess. Um, and nobody would confess to something like that if they were not guilty. I don't care if you are a teenager. I mean, people can say, you know, well, you don't know what you would do if you were in, in that situation or whatever. No, I'm, I'm in this particular situation, it just does not feel right that he was pressured to confess to something that he didn't do. I mean, who else would have done it? Who else would have done it? I mean, who else was in the house? You know, um, whether her wounds were old or whether they were, you know, put there by somebody else, he took the rap for it or he's taking the rap for it because um, no one else was in the house when this little girl was killed. And the sexual assault of this girl, um, that was a fact. That wasn't a rumor. That was just, you know, how can they explain that away? Um, his mom believes in his innocence. According to an article that I read in the city paper, his mom believes in his innocence because she said that the bite marks did not match her son's DNA. Is that the only thing you got? Is that the DNA didn't match the bite marks? Okay, let's just say he didn't bite her. So, <laughs> that's all you got? He still killed her. He still killed her. You know, no one else did that. She didn't fall uh, jumping off of a bed. You know, four-year-olds don't usually die, you know, um, <laughs> and end up with that many injuries, injuries just jumping and falling off of a bed. Um, I, I just, like I said, I just don't believe that anyone would confess to something like that if they were not guilty of it. Um, he was not, he, as, as far as I know, he was not diagnosed with any type of mental illness. He never showed any type of problems that he had in school, no behavior problems or, um, no, basically no juvenile record. The question is, why would he just zap out and, you know, do something like this? I've written, um, um, missed, I've written Ronald several times and asked him, you know, how did he feel about being accused of something like this? I was careful in my questioning to see if he would admit to, you know, um, something like this. To this date, I have not re heard a response. Usually when, um the inmates that I reach out to are convicted of something as heinous as something like this, they usually don't respond. So I was not surprised when he did not um, answer the letter that I wrote because I did ask him a couple questions and, you know, I kept it simple. I didn't expect a response, but maybe one day he'll reach out and will respond. And if he does, I will definitely make that available to my listeners. And also, I got I to gotta bring this point out too. He was watching them kids for several days. The mother. Really? Really? 
And then at the hospital, the whole drama with the baby mama drama, I mean, the, the baby father drama, it's like what you do in the dark is definitely going to come out in the light. It's a shame it came out at a time like this. But why was a 15-year-old watching, a 15-year-old male at that, watching a 4-year-old and a 7-year-old? What were you doing? Were you working? Or something tells me you weren't if you were watching them for several days. The whole situation was ugly. The whole situation was a mess. You know, but and like I said, in this particular case, I do believe that he got what he deserved, that life plus 25 years, because I can't imagine what a four-year-old, what she went through. You know, something tells me this wasn't the first time either, to be honest with you. I mean, bite marks and uh, it's, it, it was, it's, it was just, it's just horrible, horrible. And then he took this to trial. That's something what a typical teenager would do. I'm going to keep lying and keep lying and keep lying and keep lying and keep lying because somebody's going to believe it eventually. Well, in this situation, nobody did. And he is right where he belongs in an adult maximum security prison out in North Branch, serving at life plus 25 years, his life completely over at the age of 15. This episode's unsolved homicide is the murder of 47-year-old Clarissa Russell. On June 4, 2014, someone came into the home of Clarissa Russell in the 3400 block of Ricestown Road in Park Heights in Northwest Baltimore and stabbed her multiple times, ending her life. Clarissa was an entrepreneur who owned her own construction business that she started from the ground up. Named Her construction business was named CDLR Construction, where she remodeled homes. Originally from New York, Clarissa had been in Baltimore for eight years, and when her son, who still lived in New York, hadn't heard from her in two days, he drove from New York to Baltimore and found her body on June 6, 2014. Her body was found in plain view on the basement floor. Clarissa had been reported missing two days earlier and the Baltimore Police Department supposedly had already searched her home, but apparently they didn't do a thorough enough search because her son was able to clearly find her dead body. On basement floor. The lack of thoroughness pissed off her family, especially her sisters, who both gave statements to the press. It was senseless. Nobody deserves what happened to my sister. This was like somebody that knew her. It was up close and personal, one sister said. Another sister said, they just did a search for life they didn't do a search for death and when my nephew when my nephew entered the house and went in the basement she was right there we just want whoever did this brought to justice so that my family can have some form of peace it just wasn't fair this is the second sister that we lost through violence and it's hard to talk about 
but we have to take a stand because we need to find out what happened to her. Clarissa loved building, she loved remodeling and repairing homes, and she was well known in the neighborhood, and she was a very giving, friendly, and spiritual person who had lots of friends in the area. According to an article in the Baltimore Sun, as of today, police have no motive, no suspects, no leads. Please people, if you have any information that can lead to an arrest or conviction, please call the Baltimore City Homicide Detectives at 410-396-2100. You can remain anonymous. Trust me, people, it's the not knowing that what hurts the most when you're dealing with situations like this. It's the not knowing why, who, and what happened, and the details that really kills the family in situations like this. And this family deserves justice because no one deserves, no one deserves to be murdered and especially stabbed in their own home. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. Please be sure to subscribe to my new podcast in order to receive updates on the latest episodes and releases, as well as the hookup on upcoming future episodes. Please be also please be also sure to tune into next week, where another gruesome homicide will be examined and profiled. And also, please be sure to click on the link www.amazon.com to purchase any one of the books where the material that you have just heard is available. The name of the books where the material is listed is Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990-2008, and the upcoming release Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 2009-2020. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a real-life production.